1: Welcome back to the Latin Rouge Cycling Podcast for our World Tour stage race double header. This show, as always, is supported by our show partner Zwift. Got a Paru Bay announcement from them in a second, but we've got Parry Nice Stage Two, Torino Adriatico Stage One, which was a TT. If you're listening on YouTube, those will be in two separate videos. We also discuss at the end the netflix well it's not fully announced yet the drive to survive style series that is coming for cycling apparently and we have a few thoughts on that but first paranese it's supposed to be a sprint stage were it not for crosswinds and they pretty much go in a straight line north to south to orleans 160ks long and there was crosswind present all day, cross tailwind, strong winds as well, stronger than predicted. But I didn't think Yambo Visma would really bother with it. Uh, but off air, Benji, before it even started, you were tracking this. Apparently, Walfanart crashed.
0: Yeah, he certainly crashed. He crashed together with some other people, including Nils Akoff, who DNF'd after that but he went by the uh, medical car apparently and returned to the peloton just as things started kicking off in the peloton when it comes to echelons. This is like 20-30k into the stage basically. Peloton splits into multiple parts but comes back together. That fast echelon was not too influential. And then another crash happens with Godou, Molima, Rohan Dennis as well all on the floor. Those riders would not really be an influence in the rest of the stage anymore. And then echelons start again. It's uh, once again the peloton splitting up. I'm not actually sure who started it because we had no visuals yet at that point no broadcast yet but teams that were involved were once again Yumbo, like yesterday with their three-man time team time trial today they were present with a bit more riders than that Roglic, Laporte, Van Aert, Tönis and Van Hoydong. next to that El Maestro del Abanicos the Echelon Master of Colombia Nairo Quintana was also present how does he do it like it's always alone as well he doesn't really have teammates that are present with him in that
1: anticipation, positioning, experience. It's just its incredible. Uh, Connor Swift, is he here? Uh, sometimes has helped him in the past. But, yeah, Quintana just crazy good in the crosswinds. Ineos looking a little bit vulnerable once again. But the big losers, yeah, UAE, McNulty and Almeida out the back door uh, and never to be seen again. There was, there was a break and G2, but then... It was confusing what the different groups were. They didn't have enough motorbikes, and but yeah, those UA guys gone, gone for good there. GC, mm. nah, they can't take that back on the TT, so I think their chance for a podium is gone. Uh, but were you surprised, Benji, by Yumbo initiating in the crosswinds even after sort of Turnison had at punctured at around 60Ks to go, I thought they'd kind of take it easy. And Jakobsen was right there as well.
0: Yeah, I think there's uh, Jakobsen being there. That is the factor into that, I think. What if they could drop Jakobsen and Echelon? Now, it's very unlikely to happen because Quickstep had, I think, four or three teammates still left over next to Jakobsen to try and save any situation that they come into. But they might as well try in that end because on paper, Art versus Jakobsen, I'd move towards Jakobsen on paper, but hey, we were not seeing it yet. We haven't seen it this year, so it might still be the other way around. Then in the race, yeah, that Punis Pern- and Puncture happened, and another split happened in that front group, but that actually didn't last too long was Vlazov, Sam Bennett, and so forth. So basically the entire team of Bora fell from the front group and then came back towards that. Meanwhile, the Almeida group, like you said, completely out of contention two minutes back already at that point in the race, and we saw that Tempo in that front group started going down a tiny bit. Almeida, and, uh, no, Van Hooydonk, Luis Leon Sanchez, and uh, Nassen were pacing there for their teammates. Haig, O'Connor, and obviously Roglic for Yumbo. We had a bit of attacks with 13k to go as we moved from a more dense section without crosswinds into a section where it was open again, and Bissiger was the one that made the first move attacked by Gilbert to that wheel who was in the initial early breakaway that was called by the echelons very early on the stage. And Laporte was the one bridging that. And it was interesting because I was like, Laporte, come on, pace. Second stage one in a row. Why not? Yeah. Give it a try. <laughs> and he sat up in the wheel and I was like, I would have probably paced together with Gilbert and Bissiger there because they were continuing the work. And on paper, and he's the faster man. Yeah, and King, you're right.
1: He'll always pace. Yeah. and." I, I agree. I was like roll over the top of them. Make quick make it harder for quick step. Yeah. And I think they were all in on wow. I would I don't know. It's it's tough. They probably set it up to like let's go for the sprint with wow. We got Jakobsen here. I don't know. I almost expected wow to counter Benji. It's a bit <laughs> of a tailwind. Yeah. See if Seneschal and Lampart can bring back wow, because Lampart was flat out bringing back Bisiger. But They didn't, and it was going to come down to a sprint. Bennett had just Mullen there as a lead out. Quickstep did have a few men. Seneschal, I think, last man, and it was just Laporte for for Walfenat. Robich was kind of out of the way. The GC men were lingering at the back. But, yeah, it looked like it was going to be between those sprinters. Mezgetz hadn't actually dropped back all day from G1 and despite Simon Yates being behind at times, we also had Pedersen and Sturvin here who like should be really minimum top three, yeah. minimum, with Sturvin doing a lead out for Pedersen in a crosswind Paranese stage. And we just saw two trains, well, not one train and one lead out that were far <laughs> superior. Quickstep set it up with – uh, I think, I'm not sure what the order was exactly. Seneschal was last. Laporte was on Jakobsen's wheel with Van Aert on Jakobsen's wheel. And in the last 250, 300 meters, Laporte, he did what Cavendish said in the tour last year, you have to do. He said, you have to beat Quickstep doing your own lead out, which is not just trying to sprint off the wheel of Jakobsen. He jumped early. They got a gap. Jakobsen closed to Walfanart's wheel in the wind, but probably got a little bit of a draft. It wasn't that far. And as Walfenart opened up to the left, where I thought Laporte was almost closing into the barriers, Jakobsen sprinted to the right and just torched Van Aert. Like, not close. Even with closing it. And I'm not really sure what much more Yumbo could have done I think that's a pretty textbook lead out that Laporte did you can talk about reverse lead out I don't know <laughs> without letting his wheel go but Jakobsen just too good
0: yeah it's always a hindsight thought yeah they could have done a reverse lead out by going with Laporte and causing Quickstep to have to chase that to then go with Wout for later but that's only like the second try to do that this was the first try against Jakobsen and he was lower, and now you know that because we didn't really know that this season so far, despite seeing that Jakobsen was quite fast quite a few times this season. We hadn't had the head to head yet. Now we've had it after a relatively uh, tough stage. When it comes to Peterson, I've got an answer for you, by the way. With about 200 meters to go, he looked like he was having gear issues when he was pedaling uh, a lot okay. faster RPM than he should. And I think that's what cost him the fat spot because then he traded back to the right gear, it seemed. Then he started going fast again, but probably that instance of not being in the right gear uh, bottled it for him but uh honestly what a stage and it's basically pushing the Roglic yellow jersey goals here even further because Sharkman a rider who won the last two years at Pyrenees was also behind with Almena McNulty and so forth so it's unlikely that we'll see him get the uh, yellow jersey on the final stage of Roglic's scratchers
1: yeah, some big losers on G C as we said before this race, making it to the south of France in the sunny conditions for the mountain stage in close contention is half the battle in this race. But like Gino made a Benji. He's on <laughs> he's on seven and a half minutes. Like Jay Vine's on nine minutes. Like it's it's hard to make it through this race, particularly this Paranese, which is windier than last year. This is a classic, Paranese. No days off. Even the. You look at these results today in the stage, you're like, oh, it was a sprint. It's so, well, <laughs> it wasn't easy. Like, you look at Sam Bennett. He was there, 33rd. Didn't even contest the sprint behind Simon Yates and Quintana. Like, Quintana came 17th. The only guys sprinting were the top 12 or 13. It looked to me, Benji, like he just didn't have, like he he almost blew up in the last two Ks following the quick step train.
0: Yeah, it looked like that, and it, it reminded me of Henvigheim, where after the hills he had trouble following that echelon again that got away in the initial part of Henvigheim last year, and he had his uh, barf moment at the back. But uh, it reminded me of that, and he also dropped once in the echelon, spent it today, so. I wasn't expecting too much in the final sprint, knowing that Jakobsen had looked much better all day, to be honest. But all in all, it's uh, it just proof once again that Jakobsen is one of the two best sprinters in the world right now and is arguably making a uh, an attack on the first spot.
1: Yeah, he's, he's fought back. He heard our camp to the tour comments and he's responded <laughs> pretty convincingly. The final top 10, Jakobsen first, Van Art second, Laporte third, then Mezgetz, Pedersen, Sterven, Mossato, Milano, who didn't drop back, for McNulty or Almeida, all day, Narsen and Case Bowl, tenth. Uh, In terms of GC men, most of them actually escaped unscathed. O'Connor Quintana, Haig, Vlasov, the Yates brothers, all in the same time of Froglich in the group. It was really a Yonis Aguirre and McNulty. McNulty Almeida. M- Almeida even got dropped by his yeah. his group that he was in. <laughs> I don't know. Like he lost 20 further seconds to the McNulty group. Very, very odd. But tomorrow it should be a well, for an time, I think. I think Wout's going to go nuclear. Uh, but before we talk about that classics-style parkour, we've had three days of classics almost in a row here at Paranese if what happens tomorrow, as I expect it to happen, Zwift have announced today that they are the presenting partner of Paris-Roubaix Femme. It will be known as the paris Bay Femme avec Zwift. We know that there was the huge announcement last year of La Tour de France Femme avec Zwift. Well, now not just the biggest one-week stage race on the calendar for women, will be presented by Zwift, but now the biggest one-day race on the calendar, which had its inaugural event last year, won by Lizzie Dyden. there was incredible hype for it, and now it's back in its April slot and we will see Zwift as the presenting partner. So great to see that Zwift continuing to support women's cycling. Mark Benji, tomorrow's stage. Looks like a little mini Liege, 190ks we've got the Cote wow. de la Peru. Two and a half K's, five and a half percent, twenty-three K's from the finish, then another two and a half K, three and a half percent climb. And then the finish is an uphill drag, but nothing severe. I I think it's wow though. Yeah, I think so as well.
0: It's like on one end you would say if Laporte is on a different team, he'd be fighting here to get away. Kokar and also Vinod, but It's certainly uh, for now for Jumbo that is likely the candidate for here. I do think that Kokar is one of the riders you should look at for a potential top five at a parkour like this. When it comes to the other uh, candidates, even Hater hasn't been looking that great for half of the year so far. Sometimes, like the time trial in he was good, but the rest hasn't been utterly amazing. Then at one mountain stage, and was it Algarve was then once again decent? But yeah, I'm not seeing it right now for Ethan Hater, for example, and then when I'm looking at other candidates, I can't see anyone really that I'm saying, okay, this rider is gonna beat Wild Fanard here on this finish because this is a Wild Fenard finish, as simple as
1: that. It's roly before, honestly, I would play Port- I'd play Laporte up the road. Yeah. If I was Yumbo, like they could have done today. He can get a gap on these hills, and then people will be so reluctant in the group behind to pace with Walfenart and, uh, and Roglic sitting in the wheels. So Laporte up the road, I think on that two and a half K, it might not be hard enough. That last little Dun La pastel let me mm-hmm. have a look at the, it's barely, it's like three and a half percent. Mm, it's not like the twelve hundred six percent meter, 6% climb. Good morning. Yeah, You reckon? Top yeah. three? Uh, he's going to
0: be dwelt. Come on, hot take. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'd be very surprised, but me
0: too. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe I don't know. Yumbo have options. I wonder. if Philipson is here. He lost a lot of time today. How he will go? Whether he can get around this this sort of uphill finish? He's quite good at. But it's all Yumbo. I think tomorrow we'll see what they dish up, and then it's the TT on stage four. So well for now, I don't know. Laporte does a good TT too. Maybe, <laughs> Like oh, I think there'll be one, two, three in GC after the TT as well. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that was Paris-Nice. Exciting stuff and hopefully more excitement in the finish tomorrow. But now time for our Torreno-Adriatico recap. Not a prologue. It's a first stage TT. Too long for a prologue. 14Ks long. This is a stage that was a sprint stage last year. They've made a TT first. It's usually the last stage. Uh, stage seven, it's pancake flat, not that technical, and it's a TT that I just cannot figure out the results. When I was watching it, just they didn't make sense at the time. The splits, all <laughs> all very very odd to me. The top three is not a surprise, or top four, it's not a surprise. Gana won. He was doubted in the market. He actually started second favourite behind Avonopol. But he beat him by 11 seconds or 10 and a half seconds. Pagacha then another seven seconds on 15.35 behind Avonapol, beating Asgurin by six. Dowsett, his best TT in a very, very long time. And I think that he's on the new Israel Premier Tech Factor TT bike. He came fifth. That's top result on 15.42. Then Ahrensman, Ludvigson, Van Emden, Bjerg, Sobrero 10th and... That's that all sounds normal. That's all, that's all fine. Were, were you surprised by the sequence of anything in the top ten there, Benji?
0: Uh not necessarily. I would say I was only surprised of Pogacar's second part of the time trial, where the initial part he came fifth on the first time check, then towards the second part he uh, basically flew past Journey and Dowsett who. Had a, a worse second part than Pogatra, obviously. Otherwise, he wouldn't be passing them. And as a consequence, he's getting that third spot. And it's only like 18 seconds behind Gena. And did he have a better second part? than Avonapol or very similar? I think
1: it's I pretty you. similar. Yeah. He did two seconds quicker than Avonapol on the the quicker section, which is... I don't understand how that's happened. <laughs> um, like I don't understand how he's beaten Avinapol on a fifty-six, fifty-seven k an hour average section at the end of this TT. Avinapol's more arrow doesn't make sense to me. But yep, maybe like Avinapol didn't have, I think, a minuteman that he could chase because his minuteman was Gana. Yeah. Uh, that that makes a difference. Uh, but Gana had the fastest T one, fastest T one to finish. And the fastest finish. But, yeah, even uh, a little bit slower than even Aaronsman. Aaronsman did the second quickest T1 to finish. He is, he'll be on Jumbo Visma, I think, as a GC guy pretty soon. <laughs> uh, but the weirdness, Miguel Ángel López, really good TT. Same time as Benjamin Tomá, 15.59, about... Mm, quick maths, 21 seconds, 31 seconds behind Avenapog. That's quite good. Geigenhardt, same time, 1559. But then Jonas Benji, who I thought could put time into Pog here, because I have full faith in Yumbo's aero system, I'm looking for him. He did, like something must be wrong. He did at 1610 in this TT, which is, I think, 40, no, nearly 53 seconds or something slower than uh, Ghana. What do you think yep. went wrong?
0: Uh, I don't know what went wrong, but it's like both sides of the time trial that he did a relatively poor performance compared to what we're used to when it comes to Jonas, like getting 30 or 29 at the first uh, intermediate and then 27 in the second part. Well, it's not that amazing, is it, for him? And getting beaten by the likes of Maz Bonnet and... Riders like Bauaro, yeah, those are not shit time trialers, but those are the riders that you get between position fifteen and twenty normally in time trials, and that's what's happening on this occasion as well. Vingegaard should have had a a better time trial today, and it's not the only rider that has like odd balances between the first part of the time trial and the second part. And we look at the likes of a uh, Mark Soller, for example, came eighteenth on this time trial, 59th at very first time check, and in the end he finishes eighteenth. So. Quite a decent performance, I'd, I'd, I'd say, based on that. And then we look at Lopez, and we go from 36 to that position 13 that it was. So the second part seems to have favored Lopez, and so they're a lot more than the first part.
1: Yeah, like Jonas lost, I think, 20 to Pagatra in the UAE to a flat TT at the start of last year on the same distance, 13Ks. He won Drome Classic in pretty dominant fashion, French Semi Classic the other weekend, just over a week ago, and he must be unwell. I don't know. Or, but that being said, Yumbo they didn't have a good day. Like Afeni, way worse than I expected. I thought Afeni would be top five, top six here based on his Giro TT at the start of uh, in 2021. And Koos, n- not great. Van Emden was quite good. But yeah, Yumbo, I don't know. I don't know what what happened. Uh, but yeah, hopefully Jonas is back. 42nd deficit to Pog, though, and even a, a Pog. Yeah, it's big. It's too much, I think. Maybe we were too high on him for GC here.
0: I don't know. Like, the time trials on paper fit him. So I was expecting more as simple as that. When it comes to Buchmann, it's looking pretty bad for the Giro. Jesus. The last couple of weeks. He uh, lost a minute 40, I think wasn't on this time trial, if we extrapolate 14 kilometers towards the uh, amount of TT kilometers in the Giro, then he's going to lose about four minutes in the limited amount of TT kilometers in that race. So it's not looking good for that. that Wait, isn't there
1: only 17 Ks of TT in the Giro?
0: There's two time trials. Initially, you've got a 12 kilometer one, I think, near the start. And then towards the end, there's uh, a longer one, but there's a climb in the middle. So yeah, well, uh, it's more it than three minutes. Seventeen, I think.
1: Wow. Yeah, him and Hindley, Kelderman 2, not good TTs. It's That's why I, I, I was trying to figure out, is this a time trial course for the small aero time trialists? Is it one that the GC guys can sneak into top 10 if people aren't trying? Is it one for the engines? Mostly engines and big guys in the top ten, but then you look at Lopez thirteenth, and if Lopez is thirteenth and Gegenhardt fourteenth, I'm like, how, how can Kelderman be twenty seconds behind that? It's just maybe setups have changed. I don't know. It's we don't know exactly what different equipment people are running. Uh, even Wellens, Benji, I guess it's March. He lost a minute to pop. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's
0: March. Landa,
1: <laughs> yeah. 1640. That's just unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, not a,
0: it's not a good time by him and by a lot of people here, but it's certainly showing that we've got a battle between Pogatra and even a for GC. And unfortunately, Vingega is already a bit behind on that battle because that was my third candidate in the row. You think that Lopez is now a contender, knowing the good time trial happening?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the strongest, just about, apart from Yates. At Andalusia, he just got sold by Lushenko so badly. So, yeah, Lopez, dangerous. Big hard? Got 14th. I'll wait wait for the the uphill. Um, Okay. I think. (laughs) But... (laughs) The tomorrow stage, 220 kilometres long from Camiore to Sov- Sovicille, it's a climbing sprinty boy stage, the classic zero one, but gentle climbs. And the last one, Crest with 18 Ks to go, we seem to have mostly shallow gradients, and a sprinter in good condition should be getting over them. The problem is the length of the stage, 220, is it's not short in a one-week race, and who is going to be willing to to pace the break and do a good job of it? The best sprinters we have here are Viviani, we have uh, Buani with McLay leading him out. Cavendish for Quick Step will probably be the team's uh, the team to take charge, as well as Lotto Sadal with Ewan. I think Ewan wins the stage, Benji.
0: I think Ewan wins the stage as well, personally, and. He kind of has to get over the hills. If he doesn't get over these hills, then... Like last year, he didn't get over the Tireno hills. And we were saying, oh, Milano Sanremo, that won't happen. So perhaps he should not be able to get over these <laughs> Tireno hills to do the opposite psychology towards all the competitors thinking he's not a competitor for MSR again.
1: Based on what we saw with his climbing in de Maritime, and Duval, he should be getting around this course. Yeah. And with quick step, not probably wanting to, no, definitely not wanting to blow this race up. I think with Quickstep and Lotto Siddharl controlling things and the other teams sort of along for the ride, it should be a bunch sprint. The teams that really should try Benji, Bike Exchange for Matthews. (laughs) Isn't this one where where it is actually
0: worth trying? It depends. Crows or Matthews, what do you think you've got the most chance for in a sprint? And I'd argue that, Matthews even in a even in a hilly sprint even in even if half of the pure sprinters get out of that group because bike exchange the spacing Matthews probably has less of a chance of winning than Groves they both don't really have a chance of winning
1: like do you reckon Court wins from the break? I can see Court winning from the break. I might <laughs> I might put money on that before this gets published. Um, <laughs> I, I can see it's a long stage, 220Ks. If they get the timing wrong, we've got Alperson here with Moliere who might not want to be very helpful, which they rarely are, with the other sprint teams in the latter half of the stage. And if it just takes Cav struggling a little bit too much on the climb and maybe court can win this stage. Wouldn't be surprised to see him in the break tomorrow. But that'll be Toreno and Paranese, big doubleheader of hilly sort of sprint style stages. I can't wait. Before we leave you today, we have the big news. Apparently, Drive to Survive, or the producers of that show on Netflix, the Formula One series, are looking at and are close to a deal to have the same style of series for the Tour de France. So not for a whole season of races, not for ASO's races. It seems to be just the men's Tour de France on the table for now. Vela News put out an article on this um, sort of with some information they'd gleaned, seemed to be the details, eight episodes, 35 minutes long, on Netflix for release on May of 23. So that is, that's competing with the Giro, Benji. RCS will be even more, mad um, <laughs> in May to build height for the tour next year. Eight world tour teams involved, Yumbo, EF, Quickstep, Palmer, FDJ, Ineos, AG2R, Alperson and Movistar. But my first question, Benji, do you think this is a good thing for cycling?
0: I think it's a good idea that we've got more assets or add-ons next to the sport that can drive viewership of the sport. And next to that, make it a bit more exciting for viewers to jump into that. We know that the F1 show has brought a lot of drama up and so forth in that sport, has also brought a lot of new audience to that sport. And as a consequence, we've seen a significant growth in F1 viewership over the last couple of years. And I hope that it's having the same effect on. The cycling world right now and i hope that it also has that same effect of being able to get a cyclist that is currently a leader to a more superstar version of themselves they're more of a stardom than just a leader of a cycling team i want rivalries i want stuff like that i want more drama in that sense and i think this can add to that and i think this can also be an extra add-on when it comes to the finances to teams now when it comes to the finances i do want to ask you a question. In total, it's according uh, to Flitz, 8 million in total uh, by Netflix to be able to do this, of which one goes to the different stakeholders in the project. So ASO is a, a stakeholder, France Television, and also the eight teams. And those eight teams would each get one eighth of 500K. So in total, 62K roughly per team. Is that enough, knowing that they are basically the product?
1: that's uh, just, it's just a nominal amount that's that money is so small um i think i think the teams are doing this 99 percent because they want the exposure and because yeah. you don't want to be the ones left behind like if i'm a if i'm a world tour sponsor and my team i'd be like you have you have to do this you have to to get that's the point and then maybe they're hoping that more exposure than their sponsors will pay more that's the whole trickle down model i would say i was surprised by that fee like because i know um i'm one of the only people maybe i i think one of the first people <laughs> ever in sports to buy like a just an independent sort of company to buy like race or sports rights for digital media specifically for digital media and the netflix series is similar to that it's not live rights; it's the right to record i guess as well which is a bit different yeah i was was surprised by the fee if that's if that fee is correct because yeah 250 to aso you might be wondering the 250 to france tv i think this is where the tietima guys i think might have run into trouble last year as well i don't know the exact legal arrangements but i think France TV have some sort of exclusive right they must to record the race as mm-hmm. the host broadcaster, and these guys from Netflix walking in with their cameras infringes mm-hmm. upon that, I presume, so they got to get a cut, and that's why right. I think there was some legals, like that's why it was a problem that what the Tietamobiles were doing, Um don't know whether they're going to reach an agreement this year anyway. But, yeah, we, what about you, Benji? Like were you surprised by that? that money is that why you think uae aren't doing it
0: i don't think that's the reason why uae aren't doing it i think there's a lot of things that our attitude is next to the fact that you've got cameras seeing a lot more that can also give pressure on riders i think that's an effect that it can have for example we saw in the movistar thing that we actually saw honestly let's be honest about it pressure on certain riders or certain yeses social media insults towards people in that team as a consequence of the project that they did, al uh, Menos Pensado, the al Menos Pensado, something like yeah. that. <laughs> yes, exactly. And as a consequence, that can have an effect on the uh, mental state of riders and so forth. I think certain teams want to protect that. Certain teams won't want everything behind the scenes to get known when they've got things that uh, competitors, for example, don't have strategies or techniques to do better in time trials and so forth. And as a consequence, I think that's part of the reasons why certain teams might not want to do this. I think next to UAE, we're also seeing Bahrain skipping this. And I personally, for the first time in many days, I agree with Patrick Lefevre on this, where obviously it's wonderful exposure, but I believe that the team should get more of a cut.
1: Yeah, but they don't know. that. That's for... And that's sort of the Netflix model, isn't it? Isn't the Netflix model that they get new actors who don't really have much of a track record and then they try and create a viral hit with them paying whatever their market rate was before they became superstars? It'll be interesting. I think this is what Lefebvre was sort of intimating was, yeah, yeah, we'll be on board season one, but if this blows up and it is a success, it's going to be more than 62 grand for season two. I don't know whether Velon can, like, I don't know what villain does, actually. <laughs> like, I don't know what Vellon currently do, but uh, I thought this is the one thing where they could band the teams together yeah, and have collective bargaining. Exactly. But FDJ aren't a Vellon team. Most of these teams, though, are teams. So maybe, I don't know if they're involved with, with it at all. What do you think about, like, I'll be honest, I got into F1 and I'm not really into F1, just a casual fan because I like the Drive to Survive series. I'm one of the target audience. So I know how this, how effective this can be. Are you worried that they won't explain cycling properly or does it even matter? Or do we even bother doing that? Should we just make it entertainment, drama, etc.?
0: I think a combination, the simplicity of it needs to be uh, explained in a simple way. For example, people need to be able to know how the Tour de France is won, that it's not simply, are oh, you win a stage and you need to win as many stages as possible and then you win the Tour. Not that's not how it works. It's time-based and so forth. Those basic things, but I don't think we need to go too in-depth into certain rules and so forth unless there's like the scandal at the end of a stage. Then bringing up the certain rule by some analyst or journalist in one of those uh, interview parts that they also have in the Drive to Survive series that would be fun to hype up the drama around certain things. And I think that it doesn't need to be explained completely, but some simple things might need to be explained to get a new audience in, but it's probably going to be the visuals and the action and so forth that's going to get the audience in and not necessarily the way it works. So that's the most important aspect, I would say. And I I agree, I'm also not the biggest fan of one, but I'm also a casual fan because I uh, started binging the uh, Drive to Survive series during my Zwift rides the last few months. And I'm currently roughly in season two, so don't spoil it. But uh, <laughs> I'm having fun.
1: I think, I mean, literally, I have built my job is to try and make cycling, the video of cycling interesting to people. And try and create some sort of narrative when I've on the Lantern Rouge YouTube channel, some angle to make this yeah. delayed use of the footage interesting. Obviously, I don't have the behind the scenes, it's the race footage. Uh, but yeah, I will be interested to see with what storylines they go with at the tour, because there's no Bernal, there's no access to bagacha they have access to Yumbo Bisma. I will be when this is announced. Emailing, give me a little email. Be like, hey guys, John, yep. John, little Patrick L R producer, um, <laughs> <laughs> help out. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't have me as me or you as Will Buxton and Benji. We can't be trusted. Uh, it's the you know the English journo from Drive. To I want Survivor. to be one of those analysts. Actually, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I'm a normal person, unlike yourself. Well, sorry, what storylines do you think they'll go with? Surely, Rog, Rog v Pog, Slovenia rivalry—that's low-hanging fruit. Got to go with that, yeah, right?
0: Certainly, that's low-hanging fruit. If Cavendish goes to the Tour de France, that's also an aspect that they could delve into. It really depends on how the race star list is, how the race is written, and so forth. Stories will automatically come out of that like last year we had the crash in the early stages that's one episode if that happens again which hopefully doesn't this this year hopefully but i want to bring it back to a point you've made where uae is not here obviously the tour de france winner of the last two years is not present and currently the favorite for the tour de france again on paper i'm pretty sure based on the current odds i would guess and as a consequence they don't have that rider but if you bring it back to the season one of that Drive to Survive series, they also didn't have like the biggest one out there. Lewis Hamilton was not in there, Mercedes was not in there in season one. Those riders came those yeah, riders as well, drivers, came in the later seasons. Arenas. And is it necessarily the end of the world that Ogatra is missing in this first season? I don't no. think so. No. They just need to prove that it's worth for Ogatra and UAE to join in the second one.
1: And they've still got, I presume the right to use interviews, the generic interviews that Pikachu would be doing after the race anyway to add color for what he's saying. There's just not stuff they've recorded. I assume they will have some race footage. And I don't think Verstappen is in season four of Drive to Survive, which drops in a few days. So we'll see the effect of that. I I don't expect this to be as big as Drive to Survive. I think that's unrealistic. I think we have to understand that, Formula One is 20 guys, all extremely wealthy, probably bigger egos, more drama, more glitz and glamour. you know, It's F1 and cycling's a little bit more down to earth. That being said, in cycling, there's plenty of petty shit that goes on. There's plenty of stuff yeah. behind the scenes that people will not believe happens and drama, and shouting, and tantrums. So if it's 33% as good as Drive to Survive, I think that's still a massive win for cycling. But as you can tell, we've talked about this almost longer than our Terreno recap. As people in cycling media, I'm extremely excited for it because they just make the series and do nothing else. We get to talk about the storylines. We get to, when we talk about riders, they're bigger names now. So I think it's all good for us. In the cycling media. And I guess we never go to the races anyway. So, um, yeah, let us know what you think down below. Are you keen to watch it? Uh, I think everyone that listens to this pod, the, the 100% of people will be watching it. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening. As always, thanks to Zwift, our presenting show partner of the Lantern Roof Cycling Podcast. And we'll see you with the double header tomorrow. Ciao.